it's good to gather around the Word uh, again. And as you can see up behind me, uh, we're going to be continuing through our journey of the Old Testament books. Um, and the pattern brings us to the book of Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth is a brilliant book of Scripture, a short book consisting of only four chapters. And apart from the book of Esther, they reckon that the book of Ruth is the book which mentions God directly the least, which might seem like a very strange thing to start with. But as we discover, as we journey through the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth speaks richly and points to God in so many different ways. Um, And we don't have time this evening to look at every single mention of God, but what we are going to do this evening are we are going to look at three ways that the book of Ruth is applicable to us this evening, but we do so in the knowledge that it's applicable in more than three ways, if that makes sense. We only have time to look at three of them. And we're going to look at three key themes from the book of Ruth. But this is a book that invites us to explore how God is involved and is interested in the joys, but also in the hardships that we face in life. The book of Ruth has three main characters. Naomi, who is a widow, her Daughter-in-law, who is also a widow, Ruth the Moabite. And we'll look at what that means later on as well. And then this individual, a farmer by the name of Boaz. And these three characters we're going to look at as we go through some of the key themes of the book of Ruth this evening. Chapter 1 starts us straight in and it says... This It says, in the days the judges ruled. Last week we looked at the book of Judges um, and all of the themes uh, throughout that book. But this is it's important for us to have a setting of when the book took place. And the book takes place at the same time of the book of Judges. We don't have a definite time. We don't know who is definitely the judge at this particular stage. But it's still set in a war-torn world. It's set in a world that's in panic and it's set in a world that is full and crippled by fear. Does that sound familiar? Right? It does right now, doesn't it? But this is the setting of the book and it reminds us of the difficult times that the family um, of God, the people of God, but also people in general lived in during those days. And what happens is this, right at the start of the book of Ruth, we meet a family, three gentlemen and three ladies. And I am not going to try and pronounce their names because I've been trying all week and I can't get them right. But Naomi was married to Elimelech and they had two sons whose names, good luck, right? They had two sons and I think they were Malon and Killian. Right? That's what I'm going with. Whether that's how you pronounce it or not, 
remains to be seen. Amalan and Kilian married two Moabites. You see, the Moabites and the people of Israel, they were sworn enemies at the time. But there was a famine at the time, and they travelled, um, this family travelled to Moab to escape. Basically, in order to put food on the table, these individuals, this family, went and started a new life somewhere else. And then the two sons, so Elimelech is the father, Naomi is the mother, and then those two that I pronounced them would probably pronounce differently if I said them again, right? Those two sons then took for themselves wives of Moabite ascent. And their names were Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah and Ruth. And what happens, sadly, is that the two sons and the dad pass away. And they leave behind three widows. A mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law. And Naomi, as the mother-in-law, she says to her daughter-in-laws, I'm going back to Israel. There's nothing for me here anymore. And I don't want you to follow me. Remember, Israel is in famine. It's a difficult time. I don't want you to follow me. Stay here. Take for yourselves another Moabite man as your wife. Start your life over here. And Naomi pleads with her two daughter-in-laws. And long story short is Orpah takes heed and she remains. And she leaves Naomi and Ruth. But Ruth refuses to leave her mother-in-law. We don't quite understand the extent of this in our culture. But this is a huge, huge, huge deal. It's a huge act of faith. Because there is no man in the family anymore, there's no husband um, and there's no father-in-law, Ruth is now in a predicament that whenever she stays with her mother-in-law, they have no guaranteed income. They have no guaranteed food on the table anymore. And the only way for Ruth and for Orpah to guarantee that they will eat each and every day is to marry a Moabite man. But we see here in Ruth's refusal to leave Naomi, we see our first theme in the book of Ruth. And it's this, through thick and thin. You ever had somebody who stuck by you in the most difficult of times? You ever had somebody who refused to leave you on your own? Maybe it's a a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. But somebody who has been there when the rubbers hit the road. Someone who has been there no matter what. Somebody who's perhaps even not judged you when you've made a big mistake. Or somebody who stood by you when your world came caving in around about you. 
And here in the book of Ruth, we have an example of someone who sticks by somebody through thick and thin. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 14 says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. This is the three ladies who have been widowed. Naomi's begged them to leave. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, this is Naomi, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Run after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. She stuck with her through thick and thin. That's a lovely story, Pastor, but how does that apply to us today? We have a a phrase that's pulled straight from Scripture that we like to use when the rubber hits the road. And it's this, that we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend, of course, is Jesus Christ, who is with us to the bitter end. And we have a God, folks, that in this time of turmoil, which, to be quite frank, I'm going to stop talking about right now. But in this time of turmoil, we have a God who is with us. And as the people of God, all of his promises that he has made to us are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He promised that he would never leave us. He promised he would never forsake us. Even before the book of Ruth takes place, God makes promises to Moses. He makes promises to Joshua. And he says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He also says in Exodus 14 and 14, which is not up on the screen, he says this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And he says to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See when life throws that curveball. See when stuff happens. See, even as we go about our week, this week, whatever befalls us, whatever happens, 
God has promised that he goes with us. And he calls us to be strong. He calls us to be courageous. And just as Ruth said to Naomi, God says to us, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And he is indeed that friend who sticks closer than a brother. If you had the strongest, the world's strongest man by your side and you had an obstacle in your way, would you worry about how you're going to get past the obstacle? No. Because the world's strongest man, who used to be WWE superstar Mark Henry, FYI, right? The world's strongest man would take the obstacle and move it out of your way. God is stronger than any man. God is bigger than any obstacle. He's bigger than any circumstance. And actually it says, Jesus said in scripture, that if we speak to the mountain and we pray to God that the mountain would move, that he would throw it into the depths of the sea. Wherever he goes, I want to go. And similarly, if we are keeping close with him, if we are his people, wherever he, wherever we go, he goes with us. So we need not fear. Our God is with us through thick and thin. Amen? We can be encouraged about that. <coughs> Don't worry, it's a laughing cough. I laugh at myself, right? The second, second theme, and again, we don't have time to go throughout the whole book, but I did it this week, and I read the book of Ruth in 20 minutes. Now, I'm a quick reader, so allow half an hour, right? Go home and read the book of Ruth. Go home and spend that time and, and read the book of Ruth and really see the richness of the scripture come alive. If you're not a reader and you have... Um, a device that allows you to get the Bible app. There's a play button that you can press and it will read it to you as well. But take the time this week to read the book of Ruth because the second thing that we see in the book of Ruth is this, inheritance. Inheritance. So what happens, and filling in the gaps very briefly here, is that Naomi and Ruth go back to Israel. And the reality is that they need food to eat. In that society, as we said earlier, it was the man who provided. And only the man who could work to provide. So what happened was Naomi, the mother-in-law, said to Ruth, go to the fields and go to the threshing floors and just get the leftovers. Get what's left. Get what's left so that we can eat. Get what's left so that we don't starve. Get what's left so that we have sustenance. And what happened is this. The owner of the field was that farmer that we were talking about earlier. This man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is a shrewd farmer. He's a good farmer. He's a noble man. 
and he, he's good at what he does. And he notices that this young lady is in his field taking the leftovers. So what he does is he gets his workers together and he says, don't allow her to take the leftovers anymore. Give her the best. Give her the best. And the scripture says this. It says, then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Now, it was well known, the story of Naomi and Ruth was well known throughout the town. You imagine East Belfast, did you hear about such and such? And how that passes round like wildfire. This community was no different. People knew who Naomi was. They knew the affliction that she had had in losing her husband and both her sons. They knew that Ruth was not an Israelite. But that she was a Moabite. A sworn enemy of the people of Israel. They knew that she had come back with her mother-in-law. And Ruth falls at Boaz's feet and says, why have I found favour in your eyes? Why are you doing this nice thing for me? Why are you giving me the best that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, all that you have done for you, for your mother-in-law, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. The scriptures say of Boaz that he was a noble man. That he was a God-fearing man. That he was a man who knew the book of the law. Who knew the duty that God had given to the people of Israel to care for the widow and to care for the foreigner. And he put into practice his faith. He put into practice his faith. He recognised that Ruth And what Ruth had done for her mother-in-law, she didn't have to do. But at great cost to herself, she did it anyway. And Boaz recognises that. And Boaz does his part as an Israelite to repay that faithfulness. And he calls the blessing of God and speaks the blessing of God over her and do you notice that last part and a full reward be given you by the Lord the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge Ruth had pledged to Naomi that the God of Israel would be her God that she would follow the God of Israel as Ruth as Naomi followed the God of Israel. And Boaz recognised that. 
Now this was a day and age where if you weren't an Israelite, you were not considered amongst the people a child of God or one of God's chosen. But he recognizes here, contrary to the common belief, that Ruth has come to take refuge in God. We read these verses together earlier. But Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Boaz was recognizing Ruth not only as a foreigner and as a woman, but he was recognizing Ruth as somebody who trusted in God. He was recognizing Ruth as family. That is so countercultural in those days. And he spoke blessing over her. He blessed her in a way that he knew he could physically. But he also spoke a blessing of God over her. And if we fast forward to the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And he says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Just as Ruth had placed her trust in the God of Israel and as we placed our hope and our trust in Christ. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the holy, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Ruth took refuge in God. Ruth risked it all to follow after God. And the scriptures say, when we do the same, we have a glorious, glorious inheritance. This morning we talked about a glorious hope and an unshakable hope. Tonight we talk about a glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. And we need to fast forward a little bit into the book of Ruth to really realize that inheritance and the practicalities and the outworkings of that, both for Ruth and Naomi, but also for us. And the outworking of that inheritance in the book of Ruth is seen in this concept and in the outworking of the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer. 
Now, trying to summarise this, I will do my very best. But the idea of a kinsman redeemer in those days was that whenever a situation happened within a family, such as what happened within the family of Naomi and Ruth, when the men of the family have passed on for whatever reason, there is a responsibility written into the commandments of God to the nearest meal in the family to purchase everything that those individuals who have passed away owned in order that the widows did not die of starvation, in order that the widows had a hope and a future. So this concept of kinsman redeemer was passed down from generation to generation to generation within the people of Israel. It was a way to ensure that none fell by the wayside. And it was a way to ensure that the uh, Mosaic law for the care of the widow was fulfilled. So that's, that's what the Kingsman Redeemer is all about. And whenever Ruth went back home and told Naomi of her encounter with Boaz, Naomi got very, very excited. And she got excited for this reason. Because she knew that in some far out way, Boaz was related to them. Related to Elimelech. And therefore related to Naomi. And that meant that that Boaz qualified as that family's kinsman redeemer. That he was the one who could ensure that these guys had a hope and a future. That he was the one who that could bring financial, social and emotional, I guess even, security to this hurting, broken, helpless family. So Naomi and Ruth got together and they came up with a plan. The scriptures imply to us that Naomi and Ruth, um, Ruth in particular, that Ruth had quite a fancy for Boaz. That she liked the way he looked. He was a good looking chap. He was a farmer. He was strong. He ticked those sort of boxes, if you want to look at it that way. But it was custom for the widows in those days to dress in a way that indicated that they were widows. And that they were grieving. And that they were not in a position where they wanted to be redeemed. And the scriptures tell us that Ruth continued to dress in such a way. But Naomi said to Ruth. Naomi the mother-in-law to Ruth the daughter-in-law. You don't need to hold out for me and for my sake anymore. So the scriptures tell us that. Ruth began to change the way that she dressed and she went to Boaz and they had a conversation and they both made their intentions very clear. And Ruth came out with it and Ruth said, I believe that you can redeem my family. Would you be willing to redeem my family? It's essentially how the conversation went and the guys are going, that's very forward, isn't it? 
Right? But this is the way that society worked in those days. And uh, Ruth indicated that she was willing and ready to be redeemed. And Boaz, being a noble man, being a godly man, a man who knew the scriptures, and a man who also had a fancy for Ruth, and a love developed, and he agreed that they that he would indeed redeem Ruth's family. And it says this, as the next day, as he went to do this. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging, that to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandals and gave it to the other. And this was the matter of attesting in Israel. It's important to note here, and I should have said it before I began reading, that the next day Boaz found out that there was somebody who was closer related and was more um, eligible to redeem Naomi and her family and take Ruth as his wife. And Boaz went and met this man and, and spoke with him and said, I would like to do this. Such is the love that I have for Ruth. And for Naomi, and this was agreed, and Boaz took off his sandal and gave it to this man as a sign that this had taken place. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are my witnesses this day that I have, brought, I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech. And all that belonged to Kilian and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Boaz bought back. Naomi's possessions and redeemed that family. The book of Ruth is brilliant. At the end, it tells how Boaz and Naomi's love continued, Boaz and Ruth's love, sorry, continued to grow, how they had uh, children together, and how their child, Obed, became the father of Jesse, who became the father of David, the shepherd boy, who would later be David the king. And if you follow this genealogy all the way through, it comes to a man by the name of (coughs) Joseph, who was the father of Jesus. That out of this helpless and hopeless situation, The Kingsman Redeemer bought bought Naomi's assets. And from his lineage came the Messiah. The Messiah who owned the world and the fullness thereof. This very same Messiah who would go to the cross. And would buy back what was already his. This kingsman redeemer. 
who would be the redeemer of the world. The same Jesus that we worship this evening. The book of Ruth has so much to teach us. And even as I was talking with my dad this past week, he said the last series that he did while he was here before he went to America was indeed on the book of Ruth, which made me quite nervous, um, to be perfectly honest. But actually here we see the hope that there is in helpless and hopeless situations. That from the ashes, God brings beauty. (coughs) And from the jaws of defeat, the Lord brings victory. Colossians, and with this we'll finish. Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 to 23, which speaks of our Redeemer. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might preeminate. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you as holy, as blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Boaz presented Ruth and Naomi as pure, spotless, and blameless in the eyes of the Jewish society when he bought them and redeemed them. Jesus Christ presents you as pure, spotless, and blameless when he bought you on Calvary's tree. And when you accepted that free gift of salvation, you will stand before the Father and he will not see the shame. He will not see the guilt. He will not see the sin. He will not see the mistakes. But he will see the blood of his Son and he will declare you redeemed. Amen? Amen. This is our inheritance. And Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Can we stand together as we close our time and we sing?